0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside. My name is Trace. If I haven't met you yet, it's good to meet you here at a distance. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you're with us this morning. If you have a access to the Word of God, and I pray that you do, either physically in your hand or through uh, some sort of electronic device, go ahead and flip over to John chapter 11. We've been working through the gospel according to John, and we are landing in chapter 11 this morning. And so, as you're turning there, I'll tell you that we're coming to sort of the culmination of Jesus' three year earthly ministry, uh, as John has recorded for us. And even though we're only halfway through, uh, a little less than halfway through, The pace so far, if you've been keeping track, has been pretty quick. There's big gaps of time that are missing. We're just kind of accelerating through, but that's all about to change. And I think I've shared with you a little bit, the pace is going to slow way down as we spend a lot of time examining just the last week of Jesus's life. So basically chapters 13 through 21, the second half of John is all about the Passion Week, all about Jesus triumphal entry coming up in two weeks, I think, and then the rest of the time is just his final week on earth. But first, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I just want to keep you kind of in line with where we're going in the big picture. We've got chapter 11, which gives us an account of Jesus's final sign or final miracle. And so if you've been with us now, this is the final sign. So what number, sign, or miracle is this of, of them all? Number seven, right? So a lot of sevens here in, in John that we've been talking about. So this is the seventh and final sign. So if you've read the other gospel accounts and maybe you have kind of a, a an understanding of how it all flows out, do you think this was absolutely Jesus' last miracle? <coughs> no, probably not, right? He He likely performed many more. However... This is, I think, part of John's approach, and using this as his final sign that he sort of highlights um, is bringing emphasis to what Jesus is doing, because really, with what we're about to read, it should make a profound impact, an impression on you. And r- really, I think what what John records for us here is that is the, the height of the miraculous and it's partnered with the greatest promise of all. So are you ready to, to dive into this? I hope so, because I am. I'm excited. But before we do, let me just offer a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get going. So Father, we, we pause this morning once again. Grateful and thankful that you are the breath in our lungs. Lord, you are the life that we have. We have so much to be thankful, Lord, for. And so we pause this morning. And we give thanks. Lord, as we read your word, we see so clearly the theme of thanksgiving. You call us regularly to be thankful. And we want to be obedient in that, Lord. Too often, Lord, we get caught up in the craziness of life, the busyness of life, perhaps even challenges that we're facing. And it's easy to lose sight of your hand and your faithfulness and your goodness to us. Because as we'll read this morning, Lord, even in our darkest hour, when tragedy strikes and and things are falling apart all around us, Lord, you remain faithful. You remain steadfast. And so I pray this morning that as we read your word, you would remind us of that. Lord, you would deepen our understanding of your faithfulness not only to us lord but to yourself to your plan to your glory god help us to see with clearer vision this morning your hand at work in our lives in every way protect our time this morning guard us from distractions and the enemy that would come to steal what you have for us we offer this in your name christ amen So if you have questions this morning, we do a little bit of an interactive uh, portion of our service and text the questions that you might have to the number listed in the digital bulletin. So if you flip over to www, you don't say that anymore, right? I I keep doing that. Go to pillaroceanside.com. digital bulletin, if you're not already there, you can see there's a phone number there down toward the bottom of uh, where you can text your questions to. We'd love to interact with you in that way. So um, Mike and I will come back up here at the end of service and and seek to answer some of those questions. So if you look at John chapter 11, you're thinking, wow, that's a long chapter. Are you sure you're going to do all of that? I think so. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. We're going to be here at least three hours, Luke, at least three hours. So you might need a couple sheets for notes. Love it. I love it. Okay, so we're going to take this in a couple of chunks. Um, We're going to start with uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. So if you want to read along with me to yourself, here's John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. But Jesus told him plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake... I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Okay, so that's our first little chunk. Now, some of you might be familiar with uh, the Bible more than others, and, and you know that Martha and Mary appear other places. Anybody familiar with the Martha and Mary story from Luke? Show of hands, anybody? Okay, yeah. So if you're not, I would encourage you to go and check that out. It gives us a little bit of an insight into these two sisters, and we're also going to see um, Martha or Mary and her brother Lazarus mentioned in the next chapter. So they're not going away, and I think that's important because it shows that there's some kind of history here. There's a depth of relationship that exists between Jesus and this family, which is going to impact how they all respond to what's happening the words that they use and their actions so just keep that in mind Uh, keep also in mind that in the last chapter as we just read jesus was nearly stoned and arrested by the religious leaders who at this point are just set on arresting and killing jesus right why why are they trying to kill jesus he's claiming himself to be god right he's doing all these miracles Um, Has he done these things? Has he done the miraculous? Has he been teaching with incredible authority? Absolutely. So what do you do with a problem that threatens your very existence and way of life? Well, you get rid of it, right? Kill him. him. (laughs) We can't dispute it. They keep saying that. We can't dispute what he's doing. In fact, at the end of the chapter, they're going to be like, it's obvious that he's doing these things, and if we keep letting him do these things, he's he's just going to take over. So when that happens, the obvious answer is, kill him. Well, at least obvious to the religious leaders, and that's exactly what they intend to do. So now we have this man who is ill in a town called Bethany. How far is Bethany from Jerusalem? We just read it. Two miles. About two miles. So where are the religious leaders who are trying to kill Jesus? They're in Jerusalem, two miles away, right? And so we learn of this man, Lazarus, who has two sisters. Who are the sisters again? Martha, Martha and Mary. Just, We're good. You're rocking this thing this morning. Now, Jesus loved this family. We're going to see that again and again, but we just read it. He loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And so when he's asked to come and do something about it we have two very interesting responses from jesus the first are his words in verse four look at verse four but when jesus heard it he said this illness does not lead to death it is for the glory of god so that the son of god may be glorified so jesus already knew what was going on he wasn't caught off guard And I don't know if you gain encouragement from this, but I certainly do, that Jesus knows every detail of our lives. He knew exactly what was going on with Lazarus. Oh, yeah, that illness, that doesn't lead to death. We're going to get more details about how much Jesus knows what's going on. But you should be encouraged by that as well. But look at verse 4 again. Why does it tell us that Lazarus is ill? So that the Lord may be glorified. That's an interesting way to look at this, right? But the second interesting response, I think, is seen in verse 6. So verse 5 tells us, again, the love that Jesus has for this family. And yet, when Jesus hears of this illness, he stays where he is two more days. Does that seem odd to you? Jesus has profound love for these people. This man is sick. I'm going to stay here two more days. Perhaps not the response that you would equate with love. Right? At least I don't. Now, you probably already know the story, and you're like, yeah, I see where you're going with this, but you just put yourself in Martha and Mary's shoes for a minute. Because the reality is, all of us have been in their shoes, where we're seeing something happening, unfolding before us, and we're going, Lord, would you just do this? And then he waits. Now, he could heal Lazarus face to face, because he's already done that. Remember the blind man, blind from birth, healed him. He could do it from a distance. Remember back to John chapter 4, the official son. He just said, go, go back. And as the second that he said that, the young boy was healed. So he could do it from a distance. There's no question that Jesus was capable. But his immediate response isn't either of those things. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I wrestle with this kind of response from the Lord. In my own life, when when I know that God can do certain things or shape things a certain way, and he doesn't do it, sometimes I question him. God, what are you doing? You may be tempted, even in this very story, to question what the Lord is doing. But here's what I've discovered both from experience walking through situations like this and from reading some very wise, smart folks. God's love for his people is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. Now, I wish I came up with that, but I didn't. But that's, that's right on, right? God's love for his people is not a pampering love. It's a perfecting love. So God knows exactly what we need when we need it, right? He knew what Martha and Mary needed. He knew what his disciples needed. He even knew what Lazarus needed. But man, sometimes it's so easy to question what God is doing. Take from this biblical text the truth that God's hand is working in your life for your good And that his love is a perfecting kind of love. That's what I would encourage you to take away from that section right there. And so he waits. After two days, knowing now that we read, he knows now that Lazarus is dead. So there's another indication that Jesus knows everything that's going on. He tells him, Lazarus has died, so let's go now. And his disciples are like, Hold up, verse 8. My modern day translation. Are you crazy? Are you nuts? They literally just tried to kill you, and now you want to go back? Yeah. Yes, I do. That's what Jesus says. Verses 9 and 10. Basically, this is just a reminder that Jesus is the light of the world. Remember he said, I am the light of the world a few chapters back? Because this is just a reminder that he is the light of the world, and when we walk in him, we have a greater chance of not stumbling, Doesn't mean that we're not going to stumble, but as we're walking in the light. But if we're in the dark, 9 and 10 tell us very clearly, we will stumble and we'll fall. So again, now Jesus reveals that he knows that Lazarus is dead and his disciples are struggling to understand what's happening. They're like, well, what is he asleep? You know, if he's asleep, then he's fine. He'll recover. He'll wake up. They don't get it. Nevertheless, he clarifies in verse 14, which I love that Jesus does. He just kind of cuts to the chase. He's like, hey, look, you don't get it. I, okay, I'm, I'm speaking too fast for you. Lazarus is dead. Dead. If he was doing, like, visuals, he might have done, like, the like he's, he's dead. Okay? Gone. And, he says, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. Another interesting response. Really? Why are you glad, Lord, that you weren't there? So that they might what? Believe. There's that word again. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, Thomas, also known as what? Didymus. What is that? Didymus. Didymus, the twin. What's another name for him that people have given him? Doubting, Doubting Thomas, right? So he may not believe at this point, but you got to love his willingness to go and die. He's like, let's just go. Let's do it. All right. So that sets us up. For the next section let's read where we left off in verse 17 now when jesus came he found that lazarus had already been in a tomb four days bethany was near jerusalem about two miles off and many of the jews come to martha and mary to console them concerning their brother so when martha heard that jesus was coming she went out and met him but mary remained seated in the house martha said to jesus lord if you had been here my brother would not have died You are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Okay. Jesus arrives on the outskirts of town, learns that Lazarus has been dead. How many days, Luke? How many days has Lazarus been dead? Four. Okay. just, Just make sure you pay attention. You were participating earlier, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to participate again. I love you, Luke. (laughs) So as was the tradition, many people had come to sit with Martha and Mary and mourn. Now that word weeping is not like just shedding a little tear. This is like a a wailing. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral where somebody is just absolutely wailing, sobbing uncontrollably. That's what we're talking about here. That's the kind of response that we have here. And so people are coming to literally sit and wail with Martha and Mary and Mary because they've just lost their brother and more than losing a family member well, maybe not more than but as in addition I should say they've just lost their provider like the one who would probably have have met their needs and kept them living they're in a bad way on multiple levels and so while Jesus is making his way into town who goes out to meet him Martha. Is it Martha or Mary? Martha Martha goes out, and her words to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Oh, man. There's some danger in those words, aren't there? Lord, if you would have. How many of you have ever uttered those words? As you faced difficult situations, seemingly impossible circumstances. Okay, look, the reality is, those are often the words of a broken and grieving person. And these are broken and grieving people. They're Lord, they don't know what to say. Lord, if you would have been here. <laughs> if you just would have been here. So sometimes it's grief and pain that utter those words. But other times, it's an indictment of the Lord. It's blame. It's like, Lord, this is your fault. Those words can fall in either category. But I think we can take a note from Martha in verse 22. Look down at verse 22. She just said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would have not died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will do it. So she's remaining steadfast in her trust of the Lord, even though she doesn't know why things are happening. Now, is there any indication here whatsoever that Martha was expecting Lazarus to come back from the grave? No. No. Not at all. In fact, her response to Jesus' statement that her brother will rise again, it shows that. What does she think he meant that Lazarus will rise again? At At the resurrection, like at the end when Jesus returns and everybody rises from the grave. That's what she thought he meant. But Jesus had something different in mind. So we have the fifth I am statement from Jesus in John. Verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. So here in this statement, Jesus confirms a couple of things. He confirms everlasting life for those who believe in him. He also affirms that death is a very real thing. Right? Everybody's going to die. But in spite of that, There is life for those who believe. What kind of life is it? Everlasting. Eternal. You see, Paul records for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that death is the final enemy for mankind. Have you read that before? Death is the final enemy. And Jesus defeated death for us all. In other words, death is real, there is life after death, and if you believe in Jesus Christ, death has no hold on you. Nothing to fear in death, if, if you have given your life to the Lord. In fact, I think there's a portion of that, giving your life to the Lord, that's understated. So when you say you give your life to the Lord, yes, you are giving the remainder of your life in following him on this planet, right? You're giving your life to him. But you're also giving what comes after you breathe your last breath on this earth. You're giving your eternity over to him. My friends, your eternal circumstances depend solely on your belief that Jesus Christ is the one who died for your sins. Who shed his blood on your behalf for the remission of those sins, and that he reconciled you to the Father. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. So, Martha was looking to the future, right? I know that my brother is going to be risen. He's going to rise like everybody else she's looking to the resurrection of the future all the friends around her are looking backwards going man if jesus would have been here i know that he could have healed him he could have done it but what is jesus doing where is Jesus' attention it's right now Jesus' attention is here wherever he wherever he is god's resurrection power is available So did Jesus, or did Martha, rather, believe what Jesus said? She says in that last verse, verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe, not only I believe, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. I love that response. Again, we can take a note from her response Initially, questioning, it sounds like. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But I love her focus on who God is, her confidence in who he is and what he can do. And now here, after he explains everything about the resurrection and the life, yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. Amen. All right, let's look at the next section. Jesus is going to do something here, starting in verse 28. And when she said this, So now Martha's sister enters the picture and she was at home grieving with all those that had come to gather with her. And then Martha comes to get her. And so the guests assume that she's going where? She's going to the tomb to grieve. And so she goes and where do they go? <laughs> they go right with her because that's what they're there for. They're there to grieve with her and sit with her. In verse 32, we read that Mary has a response. She falls at Jesus's feet And we hear some very similar words. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. He would have not died. Isn't it interesting? That is the exact same words. I mean, maybe it's not so interesting. Maybe it's just that Martha and Mary were spending a lot of time together (laughs) trying to console one another, and they just came to the same conclusion. But the rest of the section is what I want to focus on because that's unique. There's something going on here. So Jesus sees Mary weeping. He sees all the other people gathered around weeping. And my ESV translation says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And so then he asks where Lazarus has been buried, where he's been laid, and the people show him. And Jesus weeps. Now, what do you think, verse 35, I think it's verse 35, isn't it? Yeah. What do you think Jesus weeping, these two words, is most commonly known for? The shortest verse. Uh, shortest verse in the Bible. That's and, and there's nothing wrong with that, because it is. It's two words. I mean, it's significant. But I think we can miss the significance of what is actually happening here if we just say, oh, that's cool, man. Jesus wept. Short verse. Awesome. Why is Jesus weeping? Oh, come on, Jerry, you're spoiling it. (laughs) Okay. Is he sad? Of course he's sad. He's looking at all these people weeping, his friends that he loves, all these Jews that have gathered around. It's going to have some kind of impact on him. So yes, there's some emotional response there. He's sad. He's weeping. But is there something else going on? And Jerry would say, yes, there is. And I agree with you. And part of that, I think, is found in the words that are used here. The word used to describe Jesus' response in verse 33 is is kind of rare in the New Testament. It's not found very often. So some translations, if you look at verse 33, you might see some of these words. Jesus was deeply moved. He was indignant. He was greatly disturbed. Or he was angry. Anybody have any of those words for Jesus' response in verse 33? Nobody? You got a completely different word? He groaned, deeply groaned. Yes, okay. There's some other things there. Good. And rightfully so, because that word can be used as an expression of anger or displeasure or an expression of emotion. So it can be used for both. And most scholars, biblical translators, opt for the anger option. Jesus was angered. Does that strike you as a little bit odd? How how does that fit into the death of Lazarus? Is, he's angry that his friend died. Is that what it is? Is he indignant that people are mourning and weeping the way they are? Like how dare you cry like that? I want to read uh, an excerpt from a commentary that I believe I, bridges all of this together and is much more eloquent than I could ever be. You ready? At that moment, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, was embracing the circumstances and plight of his people. Such a moment is commentary on the prologue's declaration that the word became flesh, when the word took on the sinful and broken condition of the world, and when the light had come to live in the darkness. At the same time, however, the larger context of the gospel would also suggest that Jesus was not just sharing the grief of his people, but was outraged at the condition of sin and disbelief. The insight the reader has been given by the prologue, with the historical and cosmological strands of the gospel's plot, gives direction to understanding the reaction of Jesus. At that moment, the Lord saw not only what Mary and the Jews saw, physical death, but what God saw, spiritual death and the effects of sin. The tomb of Lazarus was not the only place of death. The whole world was a tomb in waiting. Yikes. There's some some depth going on here. So what we have here is the intersection of two things. We have the intersection of Jesus' humanity as he mourns with his friends and the divine nature of Jesus as he sees things with a godly perspective. So those two words, my friends, Jesus wept, capture more than we could possibly fathom. So when you read the shortest verse in the Bible, know that there is a lot going on there. And that, yeah, Jerry is right. The unbelief that was going on. Angered Jesus, the the sinful conditions of mankind weighed on him heavily. All right, next section. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. There's a lot going on here. Martha, quick to point out, that his brother's been dead four days now, and it's going to be kind of gross. Right? Yeah. He stinketh much. Now this is important for two reasons. One, it confirms that Martha and everyone else there believes that Lazarus is in fact dead. He hasn't been laying unconscious for four days. The dude is dead. But the four-day time frame also matters. Now, if you study sort of what people thought at this time, you see there that there's a strong belief that the soul of a person lingers for three days with the intent to enter back in until... It sees a change in the physical body, which is, not to be gross, but decomposition. The moment that happens, the soul disappears. That's what they believed. So at that point, in their mind, death is irreversible. it's, It's done. It's decided. So it gives weight to what Jesus is about to do. This man, dead by all accounts, And then, even though Jesus tries to explain to them, I already tried to tell them his plan, this is what I'm going to do. He's gracious to remind Martha of his plan in verse 40. The Lord is so patient. I love his patience. Yeah. Where'd he go? Verse 40. Yeah. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Like, I told you, this death does not lead, this illness does not lead to death. He will rise again. I've got a plan, but again, gracious. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. And so what do they do? They take the stone away. Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven, and he prays. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this account on account of who? The people. I said this on account of the people standing around that they may Believe that you sent me. This is the very heart of the message and the passage this morning. So if you take away nothing else from this today, hear these words. Jesus uses the work in your life for your good, for the benefit of others, and for the glory of God. He uses the work in your life for those things. Could Jesus have healed Lazarus the moment he heard that he was ill? Yes. Yes. Could he have healed, could he have made it so that Lazarus never got ill in the first place? Yes. Yes. He could have done anything that he wanted with this situation. But he makes the decisions that he makes for three reasons. First and foremost, to bring glory to God. Second, for the good of those that were intimately involved, namely Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. But thirdly, for those around them, the Jews that we're going to read about in the last section, brothers and sisters, God is in control at all times, and we must, we must, we must trust that he knows what he is doing, and that what he is doing is for a purpose on multiple levels. Amen. Amen. Verse 43, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out. Now, a lot of people have spent a lot of time talking about what would happen if Jesus just said, come out, and not specifying Lazarus. That everybody that would have died at that point would have come out. Possible, we don't know. But he says, Lazarus, come out. Remember, though, I told you if you remember all the way back to the beginning that this is the height of the miraculous and with it the greatest promise of all that Jesus defeated death. And yet all this is as a preview of what is to come of the cross and the grave for Jesus. So when Jesus rose again on the third day, he defeated sin and death once and for all. And with that comes the promise of everlasting life. That's what he means when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Praise the Lord for that. Now you can see, perhaps, why John uses this as his final miraculous event in the gospel account. Hopefully you can see the significance of that. I am the resurrection and the life. You see, at that point, everything had been about what Jesus was saying, or what had been prophesied. It was in a book written. And Jesus took it out of the book and put it... Right in their view to see. He took it in real time. I read one commentary that says, when you're sick and you need a doctor, you don't want a medical book. You want a doctor. You want the person that's actually going to do it. When, you're, when you realize that you're dead and you sin and trespasses, you don't want just the words here on the page. You want the one that can actually be the resurrection of life for you, Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to read the last section, but we're not going to talk about it. (laughs) Verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs... If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, the children of God, who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness, in a a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let him know so that they might arrest him. Yeah, like I said, we're going to stop right there. I'm going to pick up next week and we're going to use this as a transition into chapter 12. But again, I hope you can see the significance and weight of this chapter. And you begin to look at your own life and survey the things that have happened, maybe the things that you're currently involved in, and anticipate the things to come, knowing that God's hand is at work at all times. And that what he is doing, look for it, my friends, look for it. You see how what he is doing could be used for his glory. You look and see how it is for your good, and you look and you see how it is for the benefit of others around you. When you do that, when you're in those dark and deep, hurting, challenging seasons, you gain perspective, biblical, godly perspective. And in that comes hope and strength and courage to continue to put one foot in front of the other. And, my friends, you can begin to look in the lives of other people that you are ministering with and alongside, and see them going through circumstances and difficulties, and you might see how God can be glorified in that, and you point that out to them. That's why we do life together. That's why all those one another statements in the Bible exist. Let's help each other point one another to God's glory and the good that he's doing in all of us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are so incredibly grateful for your mercy your love fact that lord we have all that we need in you i thank you lord that you are the resurrection and the life and in you we have everlasting life eternal hope god would you grant each one of us a desire to love you with all of our heart soul mind and strength to love others as ourselves And God, lead us in how we can begin to apply this truth that we've learned this morning to our lives. Father, give us the strength that we need, the courage and hope that we need. Father, we love you. Thank you for this amazing, amazing truth this morning. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.